Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Day of Atonement as we pick up in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now in chapter 16, we deal with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The high priest wasn't to go into the Holy of Holies at any time. The Lord began to speak to Moses, and this was given after the death of the sons of Aaron. And now God is becoming more specific about the ministry of the priest and how that they are not to go into the Holy of Holies at any time, that they die not. For God said, I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And so Aaron shall come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he shall put on holy linen coat and shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, therefore, that he shall wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Now on the Day of Atonement, now during the rest of the year, the other priest would offer the sacrifices, but on the Day of the Atonement, Actually, the high priest had to do all the work. And if you count the number of animals and all that he had to kill and butcher and offer, it comes to some 30-some animals that he had to deal with. Plus, he had to bathe five times. Now, on this particular day, he did not wear the, the beautiful garments of the high priest, the ephod and the, the blue miter and all that. But on this day, he wore just the plain linen of the robes of the priesthood. And the first thing he had to do is offer an offering for his own sins. Uh, He had to take care of his own sins first. And then, having offered the offerings for his own sins, then he would offer for the sins of the people. And... Uh, Of course, as you look at this, it is all looking forward to Jesus Christ. So there is just beautiful symbolism all the way through, with the exception that there is no equivalent in Christ for the sin offering that the high priest offered for himself. For Jesus did not have to offer any sacrifice for himself, being sinless. There's no New Testament equivalent to that. But Christ has become our high priest. And he entered into the heavens of which the earthly tabernacle was only a model. And not with the blood of goats, but with his own blood. And his was not an annual affair, for the high priest must each year offer. But Jesus, once and for all, and is forever sitting down now, at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstool. But in the work of Aaron, on the Day of Atonement, you find tremendous symbolisms to Christ, our great high priest, going in and offering for us and for our atonement before God. Speaking of the Old Testament and the sacrifices, 
Paul the Apostle tells us in Colossians that these were all a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. These things were all just shadows of Jesus Christ. He's the substance. And so Christ standing there at the division of history cast the shadow in the Old Testament in the sacrifices and in the holy days and all. They were all shadows of Jesus Christ. And none more important or powerful than this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when the priest made atonement for the people and in the offerings we see the work of Jesus Christ. Now, there were two goats that were brought and the high priest Aaron would take the two goats and would cast lots on the two goats. One was for the Lord and the other was a scapegoat. Verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat which is upon, upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for the sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, made and small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall take the blood of the bullock, sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle the blood with the finger seven times. And then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil to do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat and shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and for their transgressions. And so now on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest, doing all of his work alone, no help on this day, even as Jesus alone bore our sins, suffered in our place. Now the high priest would only come into the Holy of Holies one day a year. That was all. This was coming into the presence of God manifested there within the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat. And on this day of atonement, he would enter the Holy Holies three times. First of all, coming in, offering the sin offering for himself. Then with the blood of the bullock as a sin offering for the people, and then with the blood of the goat as a sin offering for the people, coming in to the Holy of Holies, offering these sin offerings that God might make a covering of the sins of the nation. Now, this is the law of God for sin. And as we get into a subsequent chapter, 
God deals with the importance of the blood in chapter 17. And he forbids any eating of blood. And in verse 11, he said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes the atonement for the soul. The covering. It's the blood that makes the covering. I point that out to point up to me what is a great disparity today among the Jews. Though they observe still Yom Kippur as the holiest day of the year, yet I have questioned the Jews as to how they hope to have forgiveness of their sins. And the standard pat answer that the Jew gives to me as far as the basis for the forgiveness of his sins is that Yom Kippur is now the day of reflection in which you think over your past year and you think of all of the evil things you have done and you think of all of the good things that you have done and your hope and purpose is that your good outweighs your evil now if you know some crooked Jew that's been giving you a bad time you might go to him the day before Yom Kippur because quite often about this time of the year they're really striving hard to make up for all of the other mismanagement during the year so that on the next day when they're reflecting they're going to come out okay in these balances and yet, and yet, the fallacy of it all. Because God has established the basis for relationship with himself. And the way that God has established for the basis of relationship is through blood sacrifices, for it is through the blood that atonement is made. God also declared in the law, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And sin is that which has always separated man from God. And under the law, there is not one word about balancing your good works against your evil. God made a covenant with these people, a covenant whereby they might relate to him, a covenant whereby they might come to him, but that covenant whereby they might come to him was actually a covenant that involved the shedding of the blood of an animal for with, it is through the blood that atonement is made. Now, one thing the law shows is not how approachable God is, but how unapproachable God is by the normal man. Under the law, there is no easy approach to God. There was only one man that could really approach God, and that was the high priest. And that was only once a year. And that was only after many sacrifices and many washings. And so their own law shows them that God is unapproachable by them. And when I have challenged the Jew on this issue, 
He really has no real answer. But only gives you some of the lame things that the rabbis have taught them, which have no scriptural basis. The Old Testament doesn't really present us a God that can be approached by anyone at any time. In fact, the 16th chapter here begins, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak to Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil. You're not to come here just any time. You're only to come here once a year. And then only as you follow all of the ceremony that God is laying out here. Now, if God was so unapproachable then, what makes the Jew think that God is any more approachable today? And if he could only be approached through blood sacrifices, how do they think that they can approach him with their own works which God's word in their own testament declares is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now, in the Old Testament, any endeavor to approach God by any other method than the prescribed method by God was considered by God an abomination. So they are not true to their own scriptures having forsaken the way of God. They have now sought to establish their own righteousness by their works, apart from the law of God. And as Paul said, those to whom the law was given never did attain to the righteousness that is in the law. Because having departed from the law of God, they are seeking now by works to be righteous before God. And Paul in Romans shows the fallacy of their whole approach to God today. Now, we have an approach to God. Something that Israel no longer has. They don't have any offering for sins. They don't have any temple. They don't have any high priest. But we have approached to God today through Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has entered into heaven for us, not into the earthly tabernacle made with hands, but into the very presence of God, the heavenly of which the earthly temple was only a model. And there Jesus has entered in. And by his entering in with the sacrifice for us, he then flung wide the door and said, Okay, all of you kids, come on in. And all of the children who by faith believe and trust in Jesus Christ now have a free access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of his new covenant that he has established with man. And therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy in our time of need. What a beautiful thing we have through Jesus Christ. So we are not coming to God apart from a blood sacrifice. For it is the blood that makes the atonement. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that is why Jesus shed his blood. 
And that is why God put such a high respect for blood in the minds of these people, emphasizing over and over the high respect that they should have for blood, even the blood of animals. It is to teach them that high respect so that when God's blood was shed for our sins, it should be something that is held in highest respect and reverence. In Hebrews, we are told that he that despised Moses' law was stoned in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye he to be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and who hath counted the blood of his covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. Oh, the reverence that God would have us to have and respect God would have us to have for blood, even the blood of the animal, how much more respect for the blood of Jesus Christ. And I shudder when people speak disparagingly concerning the blood of Jesus Christ. I shudder when people say, oh, Christianity is a bloody religion. I shudder when men like Voltaire say, the blood of Christ, the blood of pigs, there's no difference. I shudder at such blasphemy. God wants you to have the very highest respect for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, that your sins might be put away. But the glorious thing about Jesus Christ and about his sacrifice for our sins, it was only necessary once, and it covered for all. We don't have to bring sin offerings. His sacrifice was sufficient for every one of us and has provided the basis whereby God can forgive you of your sins. But let me tell you this. In the Scripture, there is no other basis whereby God can forgive you of your sins, and there is no way that you as a sinner can have fellowship with God until the sin issue is dealt with. Something has to be done about your sins. God is a holy God. There is no sin that can dwell in His presence. And thus for you to become one with God, have fellowship with God, something must be done about your sins. So no man can really have fellowship with God apart from Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved thereby it's the power of God, whereby I've been cleansed of my sin so that now I can come to God through Jesus Christ. So the 16th chapter is absolutely a fabulous chapter to study. As you see Aaron the high priest going in, sprinkling the blood before the mercy seat, making the atonement in the holy place for the uncleanness of Israel. And that was with the blood of the bullock and then going back in with the blood of the goat. The two goats, they cast the lots. One was for the Lord, sacrificed as the sin offering, but the other one, the scapegoat. These speak of the twofold work of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus not only provides the forgiveness of your sins, but he also provides you power over sin to separate your sins from you. Now the second goat, the scapegoat. After having slain the first goat upon whom the lot fell and offering it as a sacrifice, he took the second goat and he laid his hands upon the head of the second goat. And over the head of the second goat, he confessed all the sins of the nation, transferring all of the sins onto this second goat. And then the second goat was led by a priest out of camp, out into the wilderness, and it was let go to just run off in the wilderness and it was the scapegoat, and it spoke of the separation of us from sin. Now, as the years went on, there was a highly developed ritual that went with this. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Leviticus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Leviticus 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, give you a beautiful week. And may his words sustain you as you walk with him in fellowship. May God really begin a powerful work in your life. May God make you effective in your witness for him. May your life be like a light shining in a dark place, that others might be drawn to that light and find the source of the light, even Jesus. So God bless you and give you a rich week in fellowship with Him. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Do you want to know a great story about gang members, drug addicts, mental patients, society's rejects, and how God turned their lives around to use them mightily? It's all right here in the book Harvest. Join Pastor Chuck Smith as he tells the story of how God transformed the lives of 10 men to reach the world. 
Read the testimonies of Greg Laurie, Raul Reese, Mike McIntosh, John Corson, Skip Heitzig, and others, and see for yourself that if God can use these guys to spread the gospel worldwide, then God can use you too. To read a sneak preview of the book online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. I want to encourage you to check it out. This just might be the book to change a life of a loved one or even you. Visit thewordfortoday.org.